You are now listening to a Providence Community Church podcast. For more information, please visit ProvidenceTX.org. Have a Bible with you today? Go ahead and turn there with me. If you don't have one, there should be one underneath a seat in front of you. And if you do not own a copy of the scriptures in your home, please take that with you as a gift from us today. So if you are able, please go ahead and stand for the reading of God's word. Again, this is Psalm 100. Hear the word of the Lord. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. This is God's word. Praise be to God. You may be seated. All right, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. Welcome to Providence again. Uh, if you're a first-time guest here, special thanks for you being here. It's awesome. Uh, my name is Eric. If you don't know me, I serve on staff here. Uh, and like Jenna said, we're celebrating seven years as a church. It was awesome. Yeah, you can just round of applause. That's a good thing. Uh, it was on March 3rd. Uh, it was our seven-year anniversary. And so uh, it's kind of this interesting season where you go from a, a church plant into kind of more of an established church and trying to navigate that. So, uh, but it's been awesome. You know, I've been a part of Providence, not the full seven years. I was, I was a late bloomer coming into Providence, but uh, very excited to be a part of this church. Uh, and in light of that, this morning, like she said, we're going to take a break from our series in Genesis 1 through 3, Blueprints, um, and, and we're going to just do a standalone message today. Uh, just want to talk about celebration. I want to talk about joy in the Lord, um, and I want to encourage us to that end uh, this morning. And so what I would like to do before we uh, jump into everything is just go ahead and pray. Uh, just ask God to, to help us in his word because we need him. Uh, so if you wouldn't mind joining me in prayer, let's pray together um, quickly. Father, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the grace um, as a church to celebrate seven years. Um, God, you've been so faithful to us and you always will be. No matter if this church exists in 100 years or not, you will still be faithful and we thank you for that. And we are excited to play a role in uh, building your kingdom. God, that makes us happy. And, and so now we turn our eyes, God, to your word. And we just ask that you would help us, God. We, we are, are nothing without you. We're desperate for you. God, we want to be in awe of you. If there's one thing that marks our church, we want it to be that we, are, we just adore you, God, that we love you, that we are in awe of you, who you are, what you've done. And so, God, this morning I pray, let us rejoice in you. Let us rejoice in who you are. And, God, let us rejoice in the gospel that you've called us into. God, let us feel and experience your love today like maybe we haven't in a long time. And God, we pray um, you would do all of this to your glory and in your name. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Yeah, so uh, at, at Providence, if you didn't see it when you walked in or, or you haven't heard it a thousand times, we exist to make the gospel unignorable in our city. Uh, that's our, our goal. That's our passion uh, and, and I know unignorable is not a real word, but we have embraced that, and that's what we want to do, right? We want to make the gospel of Jesus Christ unignorable in our city. And, and I would argue to do that, it takes the people who really believe what they're talking about, right? Who really believe in the gospel. And so 
I want to talk about celebration today. I want to talk about joy in the Lord today. Um, just a, a way of reminder, we uh, used this quote a few weeks ago in talking about God's purpose for us. I, I want to re, uh, just reread that quote for us. It was by Steve Timmis, and he said to this, he says, God's purpose has always been to have a people for himself, a people he displays his glory to, and a people he displays his glory through. And uh, we basically said, this has always been God's plan is to have a people. God wants to have a people. We see this in the children of Israel. We see this as we go into the New Testament, uh, the birth of the church, right? And the command to go and make disciples of all the nations. God's desire is to have a people which, uh, with whom he can reveal his glory to them. They can rejoice in that glory. And then also that through those people he would reveal his glory to the ends of the earth. This is why we exist. This is why we were created uh, and, and it's a joyful thing. And we, we did visit that in a sermon, so I won't stay there. But I want to mention that to kind of really set the stage. Now, this people, God's people, uh, have always been um, commanded to celebrate and take joy in God and his mighty works. Okay, we've always been commanded, not just encouraged, not just uh, a hopeful maybe it might happen, but we have been commanded all throughout history, to take joy in God and, and, and his works, his deeds, what he's done in the earth. And so that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about taking joy in God. And I want to do this in a few ways. We're going to get to Psalm 100 here in a little bit. And, and I hope by way of encouragement that, that we could just see just some things about God that are just reason to celebrate today, reason to take joy in today uh, and, and to the end of the ages. Uh, but first, I want to talk about just historically, I want to talk about this command uh, to celebrate. Now we see uh, in uh, the Old Testament, if you look at God's people, we see there's, I, I would call them seven feasts. Depending on who you ask, they may break that down into eight or six, uh, but I'm going to say seven feasts. And so basically what these feasts were, was it was a time, some of these feasts were kind of solemn. And I don't mean sad, I just mean they were a little bit serious, okay? I mean, they were sacrificing to God, they would take animals, it was a sacrificial system they had, they would offer these sacrifices to God to worship Him, but these were also, inevitably, these really huge parties. And so God commanded uh, in the Bible to his people for them to party in the name of Jesus. Now, when you hear that, it may look different today uh, when we say party in the name of Jesus. You see a lot of people on Facebook that are partying in the name of Jesus that so we wouldn't agree with their partying. But God commanded. I mean, these feasts, some of these feasts were huge. Some of these would last for a week, even longer. Uh, I, I mean, uh, if you kind of look through it, uh, Randy Alcorn, he wrote like a whole book on this. He's got a lot of good books, but uh, he broke it down to where it was actually, uh, if you break down every single day, these people were partying and having these assemblies for God. It was almost like three months in the year. And so it's like the, the people of Israel were partiers. They were celebratory. They loved to rejoice in who God was and remember what he did, and God would have it so. I love this. If you look at Leviticus 23, it actually breaks down like all the feasts a little bit. And uh, you'll see it here and there. But it says basically that they were commanded to rejoice before the Lord. And I love that because God is not like, you go rejoice over there, but I don't want to see it, right? God is saying, rejoice in me, in front of me. Like, I, I want to experience that with you. And so God commands this joy that we celebrate. And it's an important part of our theology that... Uh, we learned to celebrate. So let's look at the feast. There, there, there was a few. One was not really necessarily like a yearly feast. It was the Sabbath, right? We just talked about the Sabbath last week. And you can go back and listen to the sermon. Ty did a great job. 
Um, but the Sabbath, right, what happened every uh, Friday night to Saturday night, and, and what would happen is they would rest from their works, right? God commanded them to rest. Don't do any work on the Sabbath, but just rest in my works, what I have done, right? And so this was a way to remember God, remember what he did in creation, remember his mighty works, and celebrate that he is God, he is the creator. We are not, we are dependent upon him. And then the next is the Passover. Um, some would break this down into two because you get the Passover, uh, which happens, <clears throat> I'm not going to mention all these months because there's a lot of different things, but it happens on the 14th day of the first month. And you also have the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Uh, and so basically, uh, what they're celebrating in the Passover, right, and you know the story uh, in Exodus is that God, by His grace, delivered the people of God out of Egypt. He spared their firstborn sons. Uh, and remember, it was they killed the lamb, they took the blood of the lamb, they put it on their doorpost. And when the angel of death came through, right, what happened is that he'd skip over. God did not kill their firstborn. But to everyone who didn't have the blood on the doorpost was killed. And then you know the rest of the story, right? God delivers his people out of Egypt. He saved them. And so this is a way to commemorate that and to celebrate that. You got uh, the Feast of First Fruits. Um, and basically that was on the 16th day of the first month. And, and what they would do, this is they would uh, basically celebrate God's provision in the harvest. So they would take the first fruits of their harvest and they would sacrifice it to God. They would give it to God and they were celebrating, God, you provide for us. You care for us. You love us. We are prospering because of you. And then one more that they would have in the spring was, the, the, was Pentecost or, or the Feast of Weeks, depending on how you, you want to say it. Um, but that happened on the first day of the third month. And... Um, this is once again celebrating God's provision to Israel, right? How God is providing for them all the sustenance they need, not just physical, but definitely physical and then also spiritual. And then it kind of in their calendar year when you go to the fall, you got three more feasts. And I hope I'm not boring you. I just want you to see God is commanding these parties, okay? Um, you got the Feast of Trumpets, which is the one personally I'd want to attend. Sounds pretty intense. Um, but that happened on the seventh month, the first day. This was more of a solemn kind of serious assembly. And it was in preparation for the coming year. Uh, it was like a spiritual preparation because the next month they were going into was going to be uh, a, a, like really their most like sacred month of celebration uh, of God. And then you got the Day of Atonement, right? Uh, you get this in Leviticus 16 as well, also in Leviticus 23. Uh, this happened on the tenth day of the seventh month. And uh, basically what they were kind of celebrating here was God's provision uh, to make a sacrifice for sins, right? And so what they would do is they would take the two lambs and they would kind of pray the sins of Israel, the priest would, over the lambs, right? And then he would slay one and sacrifice for the sins and the other one uh, that had the sins prayed over it would be sent off in the wilderness to die somewhere. Uh, and that was this imagery, right, of God providing a sacrifice for our sins uh, so that our sins might be sent off and forgotten, as the Bible says, cast into a sea of forgetfulness, and then lastly, uh, you got the Feast of Booths. And uh, they were celebrating once again God's uh, delivery and salvation from Egypt. And so what you get the picture in the past here is that what they were doing is they were celebrating God, who he was, provider, creator, sustainer, and his mighty works, what he has done, right? How God delivered them from Egypt, how God provides for them uh, with crops every year. He takes care of his people. And, and this was built into their culture, was to celebrate this constantly. And then as we move in uh, to the time of Jesus, right? I mean, Jesus was considered by many to be a drunkard and a glutton, which means he was having wine, 
Sorry if that offends you. Uh, and he was also eating. He was eating a good amount of food probably to be considered a glutton, right? And he was eating with just the lowliest of people in society. Uh, and then we see this continue into the book of Acts, right? We, we are commanded, don't, don't neglect to, uh, to meet together, right? Uh, as the writer of Hebrews says. And, and we see that they're breaking bread in their homes and they're celebrating. There's this kind of feasting going on as we kind of continue. Um, now, I think our present uh, style of feasting, though we don't uh, adhere to the uh, kind of the old feast system of Israel, some churches still do that. Uh, we do not do that for biblical conviction reasons. But uh, nonetheless, we're still commanded to celebrate, to commemorate the gospel. This is why we take communion together every single week, because we are feasting together to celebrate uh, the real feast, which is Jesus Christ, right? And we'll, we'll get to this here. But um, the point is that this continues. We're still commanded to celebrate who God is, what he's done, right, his mighty works. Uh, and then we see in Revelation 19 that one day, right, when it's all said and done and we get to eternity and we find life, eternal life in Christ and these bodies are healed and this sin that clings so closely is gone forever, uh, we're going to sit down at the marriage supper of the Lamb, right? And Jesus himself is going to bend down to serve you and myself. Bend down to serve you at the greatest feast that is ever going to exist, right? It's the marriage supper of a lamb. I don't know what that looks like. I think we will physically eat. But the point is, is that this is like the marriage union between Christ and his church. Where we will celebrate forever and ever and ever the goodness of God, who he is, and what he's done for us. So I think there's biblical merit to say we should be a celebrating people. If anyone has reason to celebrate and to party, we do. Okay? We have reason. Now, I'm not saying we should neglect things like fasting, right? <laughs> it's not, life is not all one big party and just a feast. We're not going to talk about fasting today, so don't worry. I'm not going to make you not eat today. I, I just want to mention, right, there's definitely a lot of things that maybe aren't so feasting-like or party-like in the Christian life. It is war, right? But um, we are commanded to celebrate who God is. Uh, and to that end, I want to look at Psalm 100. Because what I want to do, you know, Psalm 100 doesn't talk about feast. Uh, it's just a psalm of praise. It's actually on the back end of a few psalms that talk about the kingship of God. And, and this is just, and you see this a lot in the psalms. I mean, you can go through a lot of them. And it's just this overflow of like commanding us to rejoice, to praise God, to celebrate him for who he is. And this is important because when you think about like celebrating or you think about praising God, it's like in, in in the Christian realm, you can fake a lot of things, right? You can fake prayer. You can pray without knowing God, right? You could talk to him without ever having a real relationship with him. You can read God's word from cover to cover your whole life and have no intimate walk with him at all, never be saved, right? Uh, but praise is something different. And I don't mean praise just in singing, okay? Uh, if you, I mean, praise is like a, maybe a trigger word for some of you. I grew up uh, kind of extreme uh, well, I guess I was a part, at least at some point in my life, of a kind of extreme Pentecostal church that was called praise. And so my idea of praise gets a little sketchy sometimes. But praise is, is right, when we define praise and worship God, right, it's like this real thing. It's like this experiential thing with God. It's this love for him and it can't be faked, right? It's, just, it's like what distinguishes the true Christian from the, the nominal Christian, what we call in our culture, which we have a lot of nominal Christianity in the South by nature, right? And so when we look at this, this kind of overflow of praising, um, 
This is not an exhaustive list of why we should praise God. It's not an exhaustive list of how we should praise God and worship God and celebrate God. That's not what this psalm is. It's just a snapshot of what it looks like. And so what this psalm is going to do, it's going to give us the what and it's going to give us the why. And I'm excited to get to the why. That's kind of where my points are based around. But uh, really the pattern is what, why, what, why is how this psalm is laid out in five verses. So I want to look at it together. Let's look at it. Um, I'm going to read verses 1, 2, and 4, and you'll see why I break it up this way. But I want to talk about the what first. Here's what it says. I'm not going to sing it for you, but this would have been saying loud and proud, giving thanks to God. So just, just picture your favorite artist singing this out loud, okay? So he says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. So the what, let's just kind of go through a list here. First it says make a joyful noise. Uh, I always love this text. I've heard someone say this before. I I can't give the proper credit because I don't know who said it. But it never said sound good. It just said make a joyful noise, right? And so you don't have to be a good singer. Just make a loud cry of joy to God and that counts, okay? So if you sound awful when you sing, don't sing in public on a mic maybe, but sing loud. When we worship, sing loud. It says make a joyful noise. Celebrate. Cry out all the earth. So we sing. We serve the Lord with gladness. That one kind of sneak up on you. If you're not paying attention, we read over it because a lot of it's kind of like singing and shouting. But serve. The way you serve is worship. It's celebratory. The way you serve people and serve your God. Do it with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. This is why we sing at the gathering on Sunday morning. It's not just because someone, you know, some artist up here need an outlet. It's because we really believe that we should come into God's presence with singing. I think singing is an, an overflow, right, of, of what's going on in the heart. So we should sing. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. So we're thankful. We're thankful. We thank God. This is so important. We're going to get into a quote about this in a little bit. But um, we thank him. I actually don't know if I have that quote in my notes. It's okay. We'll pull it up. We'll get there in a second. Um, We enter his courts with praise. We praise him. We give thanks to him once again. We bless his name. And and we could fill up a lot of words. Like I said, if you go through some of these psalms of praise, they have just awesome words about how we should talk to God and thank God and worship God and praise God and sing to God. But the point is, this is the what, is that that there should be this, uh, I would dare say, even if you're the most solemn person in here and and you're very serious, that there should be this, uh, this ecstatic, overflow, emphatic joy in the Christian life because of who we know and who we worship. And we'll get to the why in a second. But we are commanded to do this. We're commanded to rejoice. Uh, Even in like the New Testament, right? Paul says rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. He says to greet one another with hymns and spiritual songs. Because we're called to rejoice. So we sing. We thank God. We pray to God. We bless his name. We worship him with all of our being. I mean, we should be radical worshipers of God. We should be like David who danced in front of God so passionately that his clothes fell off. And when his wife tried to rebuke him, he said, woman, this is between me and the Lord, right? That's my paraphrase. But that's what he said, right? He's like, he's dancing naked and making a fool. And she's like, what are you doing? And he's like, listen, this is important, right? This is me worshiping my God. And so we worship God. 
Now, let's get to the why. And this is really what I want to kind of float, and then we'll get into some practical maybe applications of this for us uh, as a church. So let's go ahead and just read, and then we'll kind of break these down. So I want to read verses 3 and 5. Here's what it says. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Guys, we have reason to celebrate. Let's go through these reasons. We've got three major points here. First one is this. We take joy in God because he is God. Because he is God. God is altogether different than you and I. Amen. He's altogether different, right? He's the creator. He's the sustainer of everything. He is all-powerful, all-knowing. He is to be feared above all other gods because all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, as Psalm 96 says, right? We should be in awe of him. Right? Our Christianity cannot be just in word. It's got to be an experience with word and the experience that he is God. He is God. He is beautiful. He is amazing. He is everything to us, right? That is why we worship him. He's God. He's faithful. He's glorious. He never changes. He never changes. He's always faithful. He's always consistent. He's all powerful. He is all together in his own category. And so what happens when someone goes from believer or non-believer rather to, to believer? It's this opening of the eyes as the Bible explains it, right? Our, our, our hearts of our eyes, the eyes of our hearts, sorry. It's the opening of the eyes of our hearts to behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He is God and therefore we worship. We also take joy in God because he's our shepherd. I love that he says this. David, you know, Psalm 23, right, he writes a lot about this. David was a shepherd himself, so I think he kind of really relates with this. But God is our shepherd. He has taken such good care of us. He provides for us everything we need, not only physically but spiritually, right? He's a good shepherd. He provides for his helpless and wanting sheep, right? He provides. He also protects us, right? He protects us from wolves. He protects us from ourselves because we are that dumb that we need it, right? Just like sheep need it. And so he stands in the gap and he protects us. Jesus Christ himself, right, prays on our behalf that we might be safe in him. And then also we are his and he is ours. I love this. Like it's like uh, we see this kind of is this theme over and over in, in the scriptures, but uh, to right, right, be known by him, right? And to know him and to be known by him kind of thing, right? It kind of goes on and on, but, but we're his. He's our shepherd. We're his and he's ours. And in that we rejoice and in that we worship because he's a good shepherd and he takes care of us. Also, we take joy in God because he is good. God is good. The goodness of God is unsearchable. The goodness of God is unparalleled. The goodness of God should cause love. What does it say after that? If, if you look at verse 5 again, it says, For the Lord is good. And then it explains it. It says, 
His steadfast love endures forever and His faithfulness to all generations. God in His essence is totally and utterly good and oh how He loves us. He loves us. I mean, I was just thinking of a million examples I could give right here and I could probably come up with none that may be helpful. But I'm going to give one. It's in Luke 14, right? Jesus is sitting, uh, he'd been invited to this party at Matthew's house and all these tax collectors, uh, or not tax collectors, sorry, Pharisees that are around him. And he notices, hey, this party is a bunch of rich, wealthy, well-known people. And so Jesus tells them, uh, hey, you should invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind when you throw a banquet. And he goes on to tell this parable of that. And and the point of that parable is that um, everyone in that room that was Uh, you know, that had prestige, right, that was with uh, Jesus, truthfully, right, everyone is lame, crippled, blind, poor, in total and utter need, right? And the point of that parable was that Jesus is throwing a great banquet and you are poor, crippled, lame, and blind. And by his grace, he's invited you in to the banquet hall. By your grace, he's invited you into his feast, the feast of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's invited you in to his party. Think upon the gospel as we think upon his goodness, his great banquet of mercy. Gosh, we are in utter hopelessness. We are dead in sin. We are destined for hell where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, right? We are destined for it without the grace of God stepping in and Jesus Christ did it for you, right? He stepped in and he rescued you. This is the gospel that we celebrate. This is the gospel that we long to make unignorable is that you can do nothing to save yourself. But Jesus steps in and he rescues you, right? Just like the stories when you heard when you were a kid, the knight in shining armor that comes in, right? He rescues his bride and he has loved you. He's given his life as a sacrifice that he might be poured out, the God of the universe, for you and for me. And that we might rejoice in him and experience him and get true treasure in him. And we do that for all eternity. So he's good. He's good. We're beggars. But he loves us. And not only does he love us, but he lavishes on us the gift of adoption. Right? The gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the church and the body of Christ. And we could go on and on. He's good. His goodness never fails. It endures forever and ever and ever. He's cleansed you from all of your unrighteousness. He's cast your sins into a sea of forgetfulness. He's forgiven all your wrongs. And what love he's given us, right, as the Bible says, to be called children of God. We can go on forever. He's faithful too. He's faithful, right? God doesn't change his mind. God isn't going to bail out when things get difficult. They don't get difficult for him, but if they did, he wouldn't, right? He's faithful always and forever. He is true. Even in your worst rebellion, right, Even in, child of God, your repetitive, evil, vile sin in which you long to stay in sometimes, right? God is still faithful to you. And God will not let you stay there, right? God will lift you out of the pit, as David says, and he will bring you to worship him. I want to mention just a few things that aren't in there, but explicitly. But I think that we can draw conclusions. And there's really two things. One is that circumstances don't determine our joy and our celebration. They don't. Now, I get it, right? When you experience hardship, the last thing you want to do is go to a party, okay? 
Like, I understand that. And I'm not saying you have to go to a party all the time. But what I'm saying is that circumstances, they don't dictate our worship for God. They don't dictate our joy in God. If anything, by God's grace, they only accentuate it, right? Like in, in, in the moments of your worst suffering, right? It's where you find the deepest joy in God. If you truly walk with Him, right? Now, if you don't really know Him, suffering just leads you to turmoil, right? But it is through suffering that we even get to experience this closeness that's, that's beyond comprehension. And so um, circumstances don't determine that. I think it's important to always remind ourselves of that, that in the midst of sorrow, right, we can have deep, lasting joy, and we can celebrate. Um, also, the joy in God is experiential. It's not merely intellectual. We've already talked about this, but I think it's so important because our joy in God can't be just in the scriptures that we memorized about him, right? Those are very important, and I would never discourage anyone from knowledge and intellect of who God is, right? Because that's how we find the experience, but it's also experiential. It's I've walked with God. I know him, right? I know him. I mean, for me, this is a big part of my testimony in my life. Uh, I had was very well educated as a kid about the gospel, about the Lord, about what I should believe about him, about what was right, about what was wrong. But I spent most of my childhood career in utter fear of God and dying and standing before him. There was no intimacy there. It was just this knowledge in my mind that had never really connected with the person of Christ. It was intellectual. And I thank God for that. Right? I mean, I could have been taught anything with some serious weird doctrines or whatever, or that God didn't exist or anything like that. But I was taught those things. But it wasn't until, right, that I experienced the person of God that things were changed forever. And so it's experiential. It's important because we've got to fight for this, right? We've got to fight for this. I'm not saying we should search for these, like, ethereal, weird moments in our prayer closet where we go to the third heaven and we see visions. If that happens to you, cool, all right? I'm not going to get into theology of that. But... More so, right, it's experiencing the person, it's intimacy with God. It's so important. Now, I want to give a few handles for us. I want to give a few practicals and then just want to pray together. Just want to pray together uh, to this end. We've got time, so we're doing good. Um, a few practicals for Providence. So we're talking about celebrating seven years as a church and by God's grace, hopefully continuing uh, and hopefully doing it better than we've done the past seven years, right? We always want to improve and, and do things to the glory of God better. We want to make the gospel unignorable in our city. Um, it's our goal. It's our passion. So uh, in light of celebrating as the people of God and taking joy as the people of God, um, here's a few things I just want to mention. One is break bread together, okay? Because we have reason to celebrate. Break bread together because we have reason to celebrate. This is the picture of the early church, right? They're meeting in homes constantly, pretty much daily, and they're just sharing meals together. And this is why we do this in home group. That's why we're so passionate about this, right? Uh, and home group, uh, each home group is structured a little bit different, but we try to take times where we just eat together and hang out. Why? Because we want to make sure that we are celebrating together. So do that, right? Do that. Celebrate together. Celebrate with the people of God, that we have a God. We're called to constantly encourage one another all the more as we see the day drawing near. So meet together, celebrate, enjoy God together. Don't neglect to do that because it's a sad place when you do that, right? It's a very depressing place when you neglect to break bread together and rejoice together. 
because it's also in the people of God that we experience the goodness of God and the glory of God, right? That's one way in which God is revealing his glory to us and through us is in the context of the local church. So don't neglect to celebrate together. Show up on Sunday morning. Show up to home group. Go hang out with people. Second thing is let's remember that feasting and celebrating is, well, I don't know how I want to say that. Let me say it this way. Sorry. <laughs> I can't even read my own handwriting, so I was kind of winging it anyways, but now it's okay. Yes, I still handwrite some things with my notes, okay? You got to keep it a little bit old school. Um, so remember that feasting, I'm going to say this. Remember that feasting on God is infinitely more valuable than feasting on food. I think our celebrating should have a food element because I just think it's biblical, right? Jesus has shared meals with people all the time. But remember who we're feasting on. Now, I'm not saying that like in some sects of Christianity, this actually becomes his blood and his body right here. It's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying we feast on God. God's the real feast, right? That's why we fast, because we want to feast on him. That's why we're excited about the marriage supper of the lamb, not because there's going to be awesome steak there, but because we're excited to feast on God for all eternity. So remember, we celebrate because we're feasting on him, his goodness, his righteousness, his joy. And it's infinitely more valuable than feasting on food. We could get together and be going hungry and die of hunger, but if we were feasting on God, that would be a great moment compared to eating food to no end, right? That's important. Um, third, fight your propensity to grumble, okay? I think it's an important application here. I want to read a quote, and my vision is pretty good, so I'm going to have Alex put it up. Uh, did I send it to you? Yes, I did. Okay, boom. This is from uh, Charles Burton. He said this. Uh, he said, praise would end murmuring and nurse contentment. If our mouths were filled with the praises of God, there would be no room for grumbling. Praise would throw a halo of glory around the head of toil and thought. In its sunlight, the commonest duties of life would be transfigured, sanctified by prayer and praise. Each duty would be raised into a hallowed worship akin to that of heaven. It would make us more happy, more holy, and more heavenly if we would say, I will extol thee, my God, O King. I, I think this is a great application. Like, we want to make the gospel unignorable, and we won't want to do that like Eeyore. We want to do that like Pooh, okay? You get that analogy? If you've seen the, the, you've read the books or you've seen the movies, right, Eeyore is always sad. There's all, life is always miserable, right? And Pooh is just the most innocent. He loves everything. It doesn't matter what it is. He's just happy to be a bear, right? Uh, and so for us, I'm not saying that we should fake this like jolly attitude. I think it's actually harmful. I think our joy is a serious joy. But I do want to say that praising God, right, if our first thing when we hit our knees was not, oh, God, I need this. I'm frustrated with this. I want this. But was simply, God, you're king. God, you're good. Thank you for being good. God, we love you, right? If that was the first thing we did when we hit our knees, I promise you, grumbling would be less appetizing, right? Grumbling would be less of a concern. We need to be a people marked by serious joy in God. That's what makes the gospel unignorable in our city. Yes, it involves preaching and proclaiming, but yes, it involves 
this joy in God. And some people mock at this, but this is important. So don't grumble. Rejoice. You got a reason to rejoice. And then lastly, don't fake your feast. Don't fake your feast. This is important. Feast upon the real bread of life, which is Jesus Christ himself. I know we already talked about that. That's more important. But, but don't fake it, right? There's no unignorable gospel in the faking of your joy in God. Really fight for it. That's what the encouragement of Psalm 100 is. Make a joyful noise. Sing to the Lord. Give him thanks. Bless his name. This is a call to real, genuine, sincere feasting. And don't rest until that is true in your life. Don't be okay with faking your feast. We can't be okay with faking it. we got to want the real thing, right? Because look, if you don't want the real thing now, you're not going to want it at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And by all accounts, you probably wouldn't be there if you didn't want it, right? So we fight for that. So Providence, we want to be a people that celebrate and take serious joy in God and his mighty works in us and through us. And to that end, we celebrate seven years as a church and long for another seven and beyond, right? And we pray that God would use us to plant more churches that would have seven years and beyond and to spread the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ as we make the gospel unignorable. So to that end, can we pray together as a church? We're about to celebrate and feast on communion, sing about the Lord, and I'm excited to do that. But I just want to pray, God, help us. God, thank you for the gift that we get to do this. So if you wouldn't mind, you guys can stand. Uh, You guys can stand. We'll, We'll pray together here. Sorry, good job there. Let's pray together. God, we're desperate for you. God, we thank you, Jesus Christ, that you're the bread of life. And, And Jesus, just as you offered the cup and the bread the night before you were crucified to your disciples, right now you offer yourself. And you say to us, this is my blood of the covenant that's poured out for you. This is my body that was broken for you on the cross that you might be invited in to the great banquet, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And God, we thank you for the invitation and the grace to be a part. And so our prayer as providence, God, is twofold. One, would you help us to feast God, help us as a people to feast on you, who you are. God, we're so happy that we get to be a part. I pray that this feasting would, would show itself in our culture as we get together in home groups and just in our homes and out in the marketplace and in the Sunday morning gathering. Would we be marked by a people of serious joy and celebration because of what you've done in us and through us and and really just who you are because you're God. And the other aspect, God, we pray for is, God, by your grace, would you help us to make your gospel unignorable in our city? God, we can't do that without you. We need you. We're so desperate for you. But God, would you let this joy that marks us not only be in us, but lead us. Lead us, God, to proclaim and to portray this joy 
to the ends of the earth, in our city and beyond. God, use our church. Use our church to make disciples. Use our church to spread your gospel. God, we want to be used by you. We long for that. But God, right now as we respond in song and in communion, God, would you help us to feast? And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.